Hey everybody, Nate Evans, manager of the digital content and accessibility team within MSUIT. Thanks for tuning in to the Wapplecast. Uh, we had a great April meeting. Special thanks to Ian, Randy, and everybody in the advancement crew for hosting us over in Spartan Stadium. You guys have a beautiful space over there. It's a good opportunity for us to learn about the auditing strategy for web accessibility that advancement is using. It's really smart. They're using a combination of both manual inspection and automated scanners. So it was cool to learn about that as well as the program that they're using. Uh, we also had the opportunity to meet Sherilyn Dunlap, who's an accommodation specialist within the office for employee relations. She's working with staff and faculty, so also cool opportunity to learn from her and, and meet her and, and hear about what's going on within HR. Lastly, this is going to be the last opportunity I get to talk about the IT Next Digital Access and Inclusion Conference that's coming up on May 16th. It's free. Did I mention it's May 16th and it's free? Yes, it is. And you should sign up. It's going to be a good time. And uh, we're doing it in alignment with Global Accessibility Awareness Day. So that day is really, we're joining other institutions, other organizations to celebrate digital access and bring awareness on the topic within our own organization. So our focus is going to be digital access and inclusion, both past, present, and future. So I'm very excited for that. Um, unfortunately, the reception's full, okay? So you can't hang out after, or maybe you'll have to hang out some other place. But if you haven't signed up, there are still spots to sign up for the actual conference. Conference. I encourage you to do that. Go to webaccess.msu.edu. You can sign up for free there. Again, it's free and it's on May 16th. Check it out. All right. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next month. Welcome everyone. Wapple number 42, April 5th. 2018. Thanks for joining us this morning. So excited. We have, check out this awesome space, right? This feels somewhat right based on the timing with the final four and all that. I don't know why. Hashtag sports. Sports ball. Um, thank you guys, uh, Advancement. Thank you for having us here today. Really appreciate you guys uh, hosting. Uh, we've got a great agenda planned for today. I'll just kind of walk through it briefly here. Uh, because University Advancement is uh, hosting us here today, I asked them to, to share a few things about their digital accessibility program. So uh, look forward to that at the start. Uh, we also have uh, Sherilyn Dunlap with us today. She's going to be talking with us about her new role here at the institution uh, in employee relations. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit uh, more about the IT Next conference that the registration is now open May 16th. Um, and uh, I'll point you to the uh, registration page. I want to just give a brief re reminder about the WAPL podcast that's now being recorded every month so you can check in on the past meetings. I want to talk a little bit about the inaccessible report content form. Uh, actually, Brooke's going to share a little bit about that as a, a place that you can send your folks in case they find blockers or things that prevent access uh, digitally on campus. And then we didn't get to this last month. I really had hoped to, but now we're going to spend some time today, if we have time, retrospective feedback based on the feedback you guys gave in January, January and February. We'll start to look ahead at, at how that impacts us going forward. So does that sound good? All right. Yay. All right. So uh, with that, I will hand it over to Ian. Thank you very much. All right, so my name is uh, Ian Gliardo. I am a, a developer here for web services and just a couple things. And so I'm going to talk about one of our, uh, the tools that we use for accessibility. Uh, it's a tool we call Funnelback. So if you have any questions, feel free to interrupt me. I'll pass this box to you and uh, we can start a dialogue that way. All right, so what does University Advancement do? So up here, uh, 
we execute strategic alumni and donor events, and also we uh, work on the communications between donors and uh, the university uh, through the, the myriad of uh, print, digital, and web. So we, on the web services team, we take care of the alumni.msu.edu website, the giving2.msu.edu website, and the advancement along with our service uh, website, service.msu.edu, and a number of uh, other giving day website uh, that takes place in uh, November. Uh, so we handle the public-facing websites and public-facing applications. So what we're going to do today is we are going to talk about Funnelback, specifically the accessibility auditor that uh, we've been uh, employing for the last uh, year or so, kind of what uh, my boss Randy calls courting, so we're courting the, uh, the application. I'll take you through the dashboard, the document view, and kind of how it's broken up, uh, and also acknowledgments, so uh, creating acknowledgments for this, this scanning tool that we use. And uh, after that, we'll talk about what is great about it, or what we like, and then what is not so great, and what our team has found. All right, so if you want to check out the, uh, the website, it's funnelback.com, and specifically, again, the uh, funnelback accessibility auditor is what we've, uh, what we've been using um, for the last year, year and a half or so. And here's what the, uh, the interface looks like. So this is the typical dashboard. And here it uh, outlines the, uh, the WCAG levels and uh, the different opportunities for optimization and remediation that we have. Here, what's really interesting is uh, the reports over time. So it will do a, a daily scan, or you can set different intervals for the different scanning. And so uh, here we just set it for uh, daily. And we are working on here the uh, reducing the number of uh, errors that the accessibility tool shows us, kind of reveals to us. And the way that the accessibility tool works is that you list a website and it will uh, employ its uh, crawler and go through all of, our, all of our domains. So here you can see uh, a number of our domains. We have also just kind of threw msu.edu on there as well. And uh, it'll give you a approximate number of confirmed failures. And so, uh, that's a lot of numbers. That's, that's, that's a very, very high number. Uh, that's also because we have a lot of dynamically generated pages, and uh, so that's why the, the number is so high. That's one of the, the drawbacks of the tool is that it's kind of a, it's kind of an insurmountable number. If you take a look, just the, the sheer number, you think, you know, a third of a, a million failures. But when you take a look at it, oftentimes we will uh, fix one problem and it'll knock out 10,000 uh, errors or 20,000 errors. So uh, keep in mind that it is, a large number, yes, but it's something that we uh, continually work with, and it's not—it's not as bad as it seems. But it helps kind of showcase the the efforts that we're that we're putting through. All right, and so we can drop down into the, the documents section. So uh, we can, it can drop drop you into the interface where it'll give you the most number of errors per document section. So here you have the URL section on the left, and then it'll give you what documents or what set of documents of is triggering the, uh, the failures and also the failures by level. And these are helpful for us if we want to look at um, remediating websites by section. So looking at the top here, we have a lot of errors in our photos section. So we can kind of uh, tailor our strategy for knocking out uh, you know, groups of problems, specifically here in the photos. Uh, we have problems here with um, the lack of alternative text for a lot of the photos. Sure. Is anyone else having uh, problems? There you go. Is that a little bit better? All right. Um, so if we just take a, a look here, it will have, uh, so we're looking at the alumni, alumni website, uh, a photo album, and it will give you uh, the failures here on the left. And you can uh, look at the different uh, WCAG criteria, and then it'll also 
indicate in the code itself where the problem is. So here it is, it's telling us that uh, there's a, somehow our skip navigation link is, is uh, throwing a problem because of uh, uh, here, uh, the ARIA landmarks uh, to identify regions of the page, uh, it's not implemented correctly. So we can, uh, it'll give us a, uh, a little bit more of a drill down into what, uh, what the issue is for this uh, particular failure. So conversely, we can look at it at a document view or we could look at it per uh, WCAG criteria. So we can look at uh, where are the failures, for example, you know, multiple, multiple IDs. Uh, and so uh, it'll, you can search and filter if you want to remediate certain content based on the criteria. Uh, tool will allow you to do that and list it out this way. Uh, and so third, the, uh, the acknowledgments. Uh, this is a, a useful section for us because, uh, for example, if uh, we get a warning and it's kind of a false flag where it tells us to, to review something, but uh, doing a manual audit, we say, you know, we, we believe that we are doing it correctly and um, that the, the error is not really an error, we can add an exception, which will reduce the, 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 the count of all the errors overall within the, uh, within the tool. So it's nice that um, we can say, uh, you know, this is, this is implemented correctly, or we will ignore this because it is a non-issue, and that will help kind of filter out, keep the, uh, the number of errors, less than the errors, more and more. All right, any questions so far? No, okay. <laughs> number number is large because um, so it is it scans all of our pages all of our domains and the number it's large it, the number why it's so large why haven't we gotten it to zero uh, it's a resource issue um, it's a lot of historical content that was uh, inaccessible so we are working on making that uh, accessible and uh, the way that we are kind of heading off the number getting higher is that we will uh, make sure any new content is accessible and uh, is thoroughly tested. So um, the number is high because it's a lot to get through and the tool demonstrates how much work we have to do, um, which, is, uh, which, is, which is very useful. So uh, what do we like about it? Uh, again, it's an automated scan, happens uh, once a day or you can set an interval for us. Uh, the interface is pretty nice. Uh, the, um, you can click around, it's, it's kind of graphical, it has slight animations. The reports that it kicks out is also very, uh, very, uh, it's, it's a little bit more user-friendly. It's a little bit more easier to, to ingest. It creates a historical record, so you can see progress from the, uh, the errors remediated, uh, which, is, uh, which is good, especially to show non-technical people that uh, there's a visual representation of progress being made. Uh, and there's also additional value adds, like it will give you uh, some other value adds. Is uh, There's a content auditor, and so it'll give you things like uh, average reading aid for the reading grade for the pages, uh, also missing met metadata and uh, duplicated titles. So this is uh, something else that is um, it's kind of useful to uh, things like content, content developers and anyone uh, working mainly within content. Okay, so what's not so great? Not so great is uh, it can't reach our development environment. So anything that's not publicly accessible, we can't, can't touch it. So that's, that's a big problem for us because you know, we want to integrate accessibility testing into our workflow and everything. If we can't do that at the development environment, it's, and only when it's in production, that's, that's, a, that's a big problem for us. Also, uh, the cost, uh, it's based on page limitations. So we have a set number of pages it will scan. And so we have to stay within that limit or, or it goes higher. Uh, the, the cost, uh, the subscription uh, contract that we have. All right, so uh, what do we think about Funnelback? Uh, we think it's a good addition to our tool set and workflow. I think it starts conversations. We think that it helps aid the, uh, the manually 
the manual audit process. But long-term usage, we're not sure if we will stick with it or you know, recommend it to other, other units uh, because we're still kind of getting a flow for um, you know, how the dashboard affects um, things like perception of um, accessibility and how is it, are the reports that are generated, uh, is, it, is it overall helpful or is it detrimental to explaining accessibility for uh, people that are not within the code base or without, who are not working within the code base. Uh, so that is Funnelback. Uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, you can always contact us on the web team and uh, we can answer them that way. Graham. So when one of the sites up there, it said, no, everything's great. Right. Are you not evaluating things? Like in a 10 second look, I, I can find violations. <laughs> limitations of automated standard, they're pretty weak. But mm -hmm. are you, when you see this giving you all good numbers across, does that change your plan? Well, uh, so that, that specific one is kind of a smaller website, uh, so it's a lot easier to remediate. Uh, you know, within WAPL, we always talk about how, you know, how, how often should mediated content be, be reviewed and uh, kind of use the, the oil change um, analogy. We should be doing it as, you know, as often as, as you change your oil. So it, it, does, it does affect our plans, but also the, the nature of the website, too. So if we see mostly static website with zero errors, we're going we're gonna to leave that alone because we know that it's good to go for now, at least for the quarter or so. That's a major problem. That's the way, because there are problems on that site, I can tell you right now. Mm -hmm. So the tool is giving you a lot of confidence that may not be appropriate. Mm -hmm. So if you're relying you know, strictly on a tool to tell you that, right. it's going to result in those problems. So it's one thing to treat it as, you know, maybe if it has many problems, we'll review it a little less, but to not review it because it's saying it's good is, is going to be problematic. Automated tools are, are still very limited. Right. Will be within our aspect. I mean, that's just the nature of them. So I would just be mindful of how much trust you're putting in it to make overall decisions. Right. That's a that's a good point. Uh, something that uh, point out. Uh, it's a good addition to our workflow, but we don't center our auditing process on this tool. Uh, like you said, the auditing tools are good at catching percentage, a, a lower percentage, but uh, it helps us kind of. Uh, it, it creates kind of a roadmap uh, for. Um, regular uh, regular remediation, but it doesn't provide Google directions on how to get there. Big picture, uh, but like you said, sometimes uh, it can be, it can be uh, deceptive if someone sees, okay, hey, uh, you know, our website is green, we'll leave that alone until next fiscal year. Um, that, that can be very, very dangerous. Right. Any other questions? Stephanie. Oh, uh, I'll officially pass this out to you. I'm like the culprit of making the unaccessible, and we go, we're the ones that say, they do it, why can't we, kind of thing. Um, and so, what can communicators do 
to help this? We're not running funnel back. We're not looking at this. What, what do you guys, what do you think? So you know me, because you were from ISP and now I'm at ISP. Um, so yeah, I'm a communicator in international studies and programs. And something that you can do as a communicator is to make sure that so we're right now creating a suite of templates, like PowerPoint templates and Word templates and other templates. So making sure that those are accessible before you distribute them really helps because that will help kind of, the more work that you can take off of other people, the more likely they are to make accessible content. <laughs> so helping that. And then um, there were some templates released by CABS a few weeks ago um, that are flyer templates created in PowerPoint. Um, but they're not accessible. So I've, I've hold, held off distributing those until they've been remediated. As a communicator, if you can make sure not only the stuff that comes out of your shop is, is remediated, but any kind of help that you provide to other communicators in your area has already been checked. Obviously, if they convert something to a PDF, it's gonna not be accessible. So there's training involved there as well. But you know, as, as much as you can do on the front end is, is helpful. Any other questions? All right. Uh, if there's nothing else, uh, Randy. Right. Right. So um, we talk about uh, we have uh, a mountain of work, but only a limited number of resources to to remediate that. Uh, so kind of what we've talked about here at the Wapple Group is uh, identifying the most. We don't use the word at risk, right? We use is it at risk? Higher priority. Higher priority. All right. Okay, so uh, we we determine what is higher priority. So is it public uh, publicly accessible? Uh, does it fulfill our core uh, business needs? How inaccessible is it in its current state? Uh, those are three things that we use uh, to to create kind of an, an action plan for our apps and for our properties um, that kind of dictates. Uh, what needs to be worked on. So also uh, outside influences. So for example, like uh, homecoming, you know, we want to make sure homecoming forms and our homecoming content is, is accessible uh, when that comes around because we know thousands of people are going to be hitting that website and the pages and the content and everything. So uh, we all take that into account to create a priority that uh, is, is fluid and isn't quite set in stone, but uh, does give us um, kind of an actionable list to work off of. All right, that's all. Then uh, hand it over back to Nate. Thanks, Ian. And I just want to say, too, Ian and Randy have done such a fantastic job of proactively kind of jumping in. I mean, Funnelback is not a centrally supported tool, right? This is something that they've jumped in and said, you know, this is something that will help with our, our workflow. And it's uh, one of the tools, like they said, a good addition to their tool set that's helping them kind of make progress. Um, what you're not seeing here, and I really appreciated that you added, hey, here are the benefits and the limitations of this tool, right? It's always two sides. You didn't hear that they were saying we're going towards progress and making this per perfect, but we are making progress. Uh, that, that whole mantra of uh, progress, not perfection, I think is really important. So appreciate you guys' work on that and being a, a leader on campus and, and showing off your work here today. So thanks for that. All right, I'm going to jump back to the other presentation here. So uh, the next thing I wanted to do, uh, which um, my slide disappeared for whatever reason, but um, 
I wanted to welcome up Sherilyn Dunlap from Office of Employee Relations just to say hello. So I have to admit, come on up whenever you'd like. So I, I learned about Cheryl coming to MSU through a post on LinkedIn that Mike Hudson had made, which was really cool. I always get excited when there are additional resources kind of working in the accessibility space here on campus. And Sherilyn's uh, doing that kind of on the staff and employee relations side. So I thought I'd just uh, welcome her to the, to the team and, and at least say hello and talk a little bit about what she's working on. So I'm Sherilyn Dunlap and I work in central HR in employee relations. And my position is accommodation specialist. So um, individuals who register with RCPD having disabilities and needing workplace accommodations would go to RCPD for those accommodations. Typically, RCPD has worked with students and faculty and staff, but because, <clears throat> excuse me, because of the amount of cases that fall over into HR, a lot of things that fall over into HR, such as a person will register for an accommodation, which is a temporary, it may be a temporary disability that they have, and it's something that they would register for FMLA, or it could be a disability claim, it could be workers' comp, and RCPD's not equipped to handle those types of things because it comes from HR. So they created the position so that HR would have their hand in it, so to speak, and be able to provide some guidance for individuals. So moving forward, when an individual registers with RCPD as having a disability, I will work in conjunction with them to do a needs assessment. And then once a needs assessment takes place, I would work with that individual one-on-one -on -one and to figure out what it is that they need in order to accomplish their job here on campus. I would meet with their supervisor, not sharing any of their medical information, but would meet with their supervisor to determine whether they could be accommodated. Ultimately, the decision on what those accommodations would be would come from the Office of Employee Relations. If an individual doesn't agree with the statement of accommodation that is given to an employee, if the supervisor disagrees or the employee, they can appeal. I would always ask that you come back to OER first because it could be something that we may be able to amend. But if we're not able to amend it, then the proper place would be to appeal with the Office of the ADA Coordinator here on campus. So pretty much that's my job in a nutshell, working with individuals who have disabilities and trying to make sure that they have accessibility to the things they need on campus to do their job. Any questions? Um, so when I interviewed for the position, I asked what the caseload was like for the course of a year, and they told me 70, and I didn't think that was quite accurate. So I got here in December. The new policy came out the beginning of March, and I'm up to 30 cases right now, just since the beginning of March. So. I think it's way more than what they're saying. <coughs> so. Any other questions? Well, I, I'd ask one more question. So, okay. under work, should they reach out to you directly if they have questions? What's the best way to? The intake connect? process hasn't changed, so they would still register with RCPD. They would still provide that medical documentation to RCPD. Once RCPD makes the decision that they do have a disability, they'll reach out to me. Okay. Thank you, Sherlock. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks for having me. In.
Okay, so moving forward with the agenda here, um, I've been talking a little bit about IT, the IT Next Digital Access and Inclusion Conference. I'm really, really excited for this. This is coming up in a little bit over a month. There are a limited number of seats. I just wanted to give you a little more information about it since we're kind of firming things up. So the uh, primary invite should be going out early next week. So um, if you haven't, uh, it, the registration's open. You can sign up for it now. I'm working within IT to get the communications out, so that, that'll be out early next week. Um, but feel free to sign up now if you're interested. Um, there is a, a free reception to follow to if you're interested. That's really intended to be kind of a time to mingle, get together with people who maybe have, have spoken or, or colleagues to just kind of talk about the topic. Um, kind of at the 30,000 foot view, the, really the direction, the intended direction of the conference um, is to kind of get this idea of digital accessibility and inclusion past, present, and future at Michigan State University. So I'm really, really excited. Um, Graham Pierce and uh, Mike Hudson are gonna kick us off. Uh, they have a presentation to kind of talk about some of the history of, of accessibility and digital access at MSU. Dr. Jeff Grable is gonna be keynoting the session uh, to talk about kind of current state and what does access look like uh, in the context of higher ed and here at Michigan State University. I'm really excited that he's gonna bring sort of that, that academic side of the, the, the conversation to uh, the discussion. And then our last session, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about what does the future look like, especially what kind of things that you can expect from MSUIT going forward and what does that look like. So really, really excited. We're, we're doing this in alignment with Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is on the same day. Um, so it's cool to partner and do this in conjunction with other institutions, other companies, things like that that are celebrating the same thing and really focusing uh, on what, how to um, build awareness around access and inclusion within their or own organizations. That's really, really the focus of this. So really uh, encourage you to, to check that out. Again, it's on web access uh, along the left-hand navigation. Um, I'd encourage you, uh, the type of folks this is going to be good for anyone here at MSU, really. Um, if you're faculty, staff, um, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, IT-focused, uh, gonna, we're going to have something up for a little bit of everybody there. So uh, really excited for that. Uh, moving forward, I'm not going to uh, show this off in media space because we're a little bit short on time, but one of the things I did want to talk about, I mentioned it last month, we now have a, a podcast and um, what we're working on basically is trying to record these meetings. That's why we have this cool catch box here today is to capture as much as we can from this. We kept getting requests for, can you please uh, live stream the, the meeting? And for a number of reasons, we chose not to do that because we wanted to be able to make sure we could provide it as accessibly as possible. So this allows us time to record it, uh, kind of work out some of the bugs, um, all the ifs and ands and things like that in the language. We cut that stuff out. We try to shorten it up, make it a little more digestible. And then we also provide it with transcripts that way so you can listen to it. So if there's ever a month that you can't make it, or if you're looking for something that um, maybe have some interest within your own college or department, folks are like, hey, I'm kind of interested. Where do I get started? This would be a good place to, to point them towards, especially like I'm thinking through last month. We talked through a number of different documents and resources that we put out uh, in alignment with uh, Provost Hewitt's uh, DDC message. There were a number of new resources that we kind of got more granular with during that meeting, and we're not going to be able to spend time to do that in every meeting. So it provides some context to it that I think would be helpful as you're working with your own liaisons. Again, our goal is to try to resource you so you can resource the folks within your own college or department. 
So that's the intent of the, the new podcast. We're really, really working on our RSS feed to try to get that to work with the Google Play Store and Apple Podcasts. So stay tuned for that. I believe actually it may have been added into the Play Store last week or the week before. So uh, if I am not an Android user, but if you are, uh, and you wouldn't mind checking that, I'd be interested to see if it's been added there. Um, so cool stuff. All right, moving forward, uh, I'm going to invite up Brooke to talk a little bit about the report in accessible content form. Um, for you, those of you that don't know me, I'll do a really quick introduction. I am Brooke Knapp. I'm a digital accessibility analyst out of the DCAT office. Um, a lot of my job is spent on procurement, working with purchases through IT, and also just websites and working with vendors on campus just kind of why I want to talk about the inaccessible content form. So we've got been getting questions, um, some of them from the liaison, some from just um, people who are curious about who do I reach out to for an accessibility question. Um, this is really the best way to do that. It's right on our website, web access, it's on our side navigation, it says report a problem and it takes you to a form that you fill out. The thing I want to stress is it does not just get lost in the system. We get an email immediately um, with that request. We have a way to triage that, triage that within our um, office about whether it's related to courses, vendor handles that, if it's a more of a procurement issue that will come to me. It's more website focused. Um, Jim White usually hands, handles those. but. Um, I just really wanted to stress that's the best way to get in contact with us. We can't possibly, Nate or I, have a seat at every table or every conversation on, on campus, but that's why I think the liaisons are so important because if we're not there, um, one of you might be there, you might have a colleague that's there, and if they ask that question and they're not sure, this is the best way to get in contact with us. Normally our process for fielding those requests, we try to loop in the liaison for the department that it pertains to, to make them aware of the issue and that we're working on it and that we're addressing it. If it's more of a high high-risk issue and we've gotten a lot of complaints about it. We normally have more of a constant communication with the ADA coordinator, general counsel. It's more of a higher priority for our office and something that we make sure that we have open communication lines with that. Are there any specific questions on that? Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Brooke. Yeah. So I wanted to spend a few minutes talking through the retrospective. If you came to the January or February meeting, basically what we wanted to do is kind of a, a year in review. And we, we gathered feedback from you all. We broke into small groups and, and did the meeting a little bit differently. Um, the goal was really to understand some of the trends and feedback based on where are things at with our digital accessibility program as a whole? What are the things that seem to be working well? And what are the things that we need to, to focus on and improve on this year? Um, so I want to, to just show you some of the feedback as we've kind of aggregated it. These are the things that we heard. And there were some bits of feedback that we were heard on repeat over and over. So we made sure that they were on this list and, and summarized. Okay, so if you remember, the, the metaphor was there was a, a ship on a sea. And uh, the first question was, what were the things that pushed the sail forward, pushed our program forward? And so these were some of the things that were on that list. The first is, you all felt like that the training and uh, open and ongoing communication were good around our digital accessibility program. And collaboration provided by um, our team was strong and supported your work, which we felt grateful for that feedback. That was, that was cool to hear, because that's really why we exist. and, and <laughs> why we're here at the institution. Uh, there were strong conferences available at MSU, uh, Accessible Learning Conference, World Usability Day were things that were cited. So we're excited about that. There were opportunities and conferences locally that people could get resourced at. And there felt like there was good momentum from previous efforts with faculty and staff dating way, way back, uh, which is cool to see. 
Um, and then also there was good commitment to digital access and inclusion and culture at the gra grassroots level. So this, this level here, which, which is encouraging. To date, I think we have over 125 liaisons from across all the, the colleges and departments. Uh, when we started, if you recall, back in 2014, the initial DDC came out from Paulette Granberry Russell to say every unit on campus needs at, one, at least one liaison. And if you do the math on that, there were 43 uh, MAUs plus a few central administrative units. So that number should have been around 50. And initially, it was about that number. That's grown and over doubled. And many of your units have more than one representative now, which is great. We encourage you to, to double down on that. Down institutional commitment to digital access, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, if we're not talking about at the top um, and how it's tied to our mission and vision, is there interest at the top for this topic? You know, it kind of creates that vacuum. So good feedback there. Um, other things that were felt that held us back, an example of the last thing was, why oh, is there no top-down commitment to raising awareness and reiterating why digital access is important missionally for us as an institution? Why is that, why is that gone? That's a good question. Um, the other one is, um, there are other initial initiatives like Title IX that are being pushed. Why isn't accessibility pushed maybe in the same way? Um, I thought that, that was some good feedback as well. There's a lack of uh, clarity, a felt lack of clarity around who's going to hold up units accountable for accessibility. That's a, that's a question mark that we get oftentimes when we have some of these conversations. Uh, and I think it's fair feedback. It's also unclear how IT views their role or reprioritization with the realignment that happened you know, a few months ago. So what is IT's position on digital access and inclusion with the, in, in alignment with their re-centralization? So that, I think that's a good question, and honestly, um, in, in some of the conversations, just to talk directly to this one, um, Don Baker came to me with this idea about what would it look like to do an IT Next in alignment with Global Accessibility Awareness Day. So I think their, their understanding, that kind of feedback, it, is real, and, and um, it's felt among our liaisons, and this is a way that we can kind of take a moment and move, move the ball forward and probably, hopefully, clarify some things uh, about what you know, where IT stands as a unit and how we intend to move forward. And the last one is there's a lack of human resources to support the effort and a lack of time. Is this sustainable? Uh, and that's always true. Right? You heard threads of that in Ian's conversation about trying to demonstrate this need. Um, you know, there's this much work and this much time and resource, and how do we handle that? Anybody else feel that way in their role, right? Many of you, you signed up as a liaison or were voluntold to be a liaison, right? It was just added on. Anybody feel fit into that? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of hands. I'm seeing a lot of hands. I gotta get that on recording. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where we're at, right? So um, I, I'm glad that that was mentioned and isn't missed because demonstrating the need is a way that we can hopefully try to build more resources in this area. Um, so that kind of takes us to the end. Um, I don't know if there's any other anecdotal information or, or feedback based on that, that uh, exercise, but that's something that was new for us as a team, and I hope we can kind of get into that groove that annually, because it was really, really helpful for us. Um, it's informing the type of content and the conversations that we're having within IT as a unit um, around how do we address some of these questions and how do we um, help uh, become a resource that aligns with the work that you're already doing here on campus. Uh, not something that works against it. So um, anyway, thanks thanks for that. Um, I opened that up and then I didn't ask for any feedback. Was, was there any feedback, questions, comments, anything like that? Okay, cool. Well, 
Thanks for coming today. Appreciate it. You guys have a great weekend. And go green. All right. See you.